Welcome, I'm your host, Alex Avila, and this is CAV, College, Career, and Beyond, where we explore on subjects of academia, economics, politics, arts, culture, environmental, social enterprises, and even social struggles. Stay connected, where we keep you ahead of the game and not behind the game with CAV. Thank you for tuning in to College, Career, and Beyond. This episode was sponsored by Blacklandia, by the way of the Atlandia Institute in Riverside. Due to COVID-19 and the pandemic shutdown, this episode was shot through Zoom. Thank you for your support, and please stay safe. Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another College, Career, and Beyond podcast. I'm your host, Alex Avila, and today we have two amazing, beautiful, scholarly guests, uh, and we're going to be introducing them shortly. Um, this podcast is brought to you by Atlanta Institute, and the Atlanta Institute had brought together a group or collective of Black artists and writers and scholars to look at how we can elevate or promote Black art in the region. And when I talked about region, I'm talking about the Inland Empire, uh, Southern California area. So for those who are out in New York City and Chicago and throughout the United States and abroad listening, uh, yeah, we're, we're doing this podcast from California, Southern California. And the region we're in is an IE, an empire. And so Atlanta Institute thought it was proper to just figure out how to uplift Black literature, Black culture, Black arts. And they got all of us together and it was like 30 of us. And, you know, we came up, well, as a collective, we came up with the name Blacklandia. And so out of that Blacklandia, it's a series that's going to be coming out. And this is one of the series. Um, it's going to be everything from drumming to poetry to podcast to how to publish a book and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so um, I just want to give a shout out to Katie Porter and, and Lisa and all those folks over there at that camp and, and supporting the Black arts in the region and uplifting the culture. So I just wanted to highlight that. And because of them, we have our special guest today. And these are scholars that have been around and are credible and also been about community, you know, because a lot of times you see artists that are not accessible and uh, just kind of like all over the place. And so our uh, our first uh, guest I'm going to introduce here uh, kind of briefly is Dr. Kathy Irvin, who, and I just have to put this out there, was also on my committee for grad school. So I know it's going to be some bias here, but, you know, she has inspired, I mean, a ton of artists who are doing a lot of amazing things throughout not just the United States, but throughout the world and have traveled the country. And she has helped birth and facilitate uh, a lot of these artists. And you're going to hear some of them like Kirby Hines and some of the other artists that are doing things in the community uh, that are just absolutely amazing. Um, she's a professor at CSUSB. She's been the chair at one point. She sits on many committees. Um, anything that has to do with community and bringing back uh, the arts and culture uh, to the space and the region, she's been an advocate for. So Dr. Kathy Irving is going to speak about that later on in this podcast. And we're going to have her introduce herself because I know she got she has a whole 15 books that we can go through. Um, but uh, for this time frame that we have, we're not going to do it. But we're going to touch on a lot of these things that she's done in the past and what it looks like now and what's going to look like in the future. And of course, our other guest we have here is George Hammonds, uh, who is a social entrepreneur, author, poet, photographer, and, a, and coordinator. And he's been, I mean... He he's published a book and he was one of those that he'd take it, you know, he was selling books from the back of his car. 
at you know one point, and this is facts, right? Like he just put it together and say, "Look, here's my stuff, here's my uh, piece, and this is who I am. This is how I see the world." And a lot of, a lot of his art is based on uh, contemporary Black folklore, right? Um, prose that just kind of highlights the Black community, what's going on in our neighborhoods, what's going on with our families and our infrastructure. And he goes to all these events throughout the regions. He's been a promoter, an advocate of arts, uh, whether it's Black, Latino, you name it, he's there, you know, and because he appreciates the culture and, and its diversity and, and its full. So I want to welcome y'all to this podcast. Thank you again. I appreciate y'all for uh, uh, coming on this panel and discussing what's going on in today's climate, because this is a different world. Um, and so without further ado, how y'all doing? How y'all feeling this uh, today, uh, this lovely day? on a Saturday. How are y'all feeling today? What's going on with y'all? Well, I'm doing very well, thank you. Uh, suffering a little bit in the heat. I think it's, this is the hot, hot weekend, but uh, really enjoying the time off. Um, it's the Labor Day weekend, so good to have a little time to catch up on some things. Yeah, and as, as far as me, you know, number one, thank you for the invite and you know, the conversation is definitely timely. And I'm doing pretty well. You know, I, mean, I keep on saying, you know, we're going into the new world. And so, you know, I'm just feeling my way through it, you know, just um, as best I can. So, so I'm interested to, you know, speak more on the, on the topic. Yeah. Okay. Well, we have a few questions here that we want to try to tackle uh, and uh, or make the attempt. And before we get to this question, I just want to get a little background on y'all. Like, what kind of works have y'all been working on before the pandemic hit, before the shutdown? Um, I mean, because I know you have done tons of work. And so highlight what those kind of pieces look like or what kind of those spaces look like when y'all was doing your um, your pieces or your uh, performances. So um, I'll start. I uh, work primarily in the live theater. So I have been working and I teach. I'm on the faculty at Cal State San Bernardino. So I was in a classroom with students, Face to face, I miss them so. <clears throat> and right before the pandemic, I was working on a production of a play called Rowing to America, which is a selection, is a, a uh, compilation of nine, play, nine different playwrights talking about the immigrant experience. So there was a play about uh, two Irish sisters coming to the Americas, in the 1820s, there was a play by an Asian playwright uh, looking at um, uh, a, a young immigrant woman who is forced to leave her sister to escape um, the kind of uh, suppression that she's facing there in China. African American playwright talking about uh, reminiscing about the slave experience through an interview. So it was a lot of. Um, the history of immigration. We think about the immigrant experience sort of in, you know, oh, uh, this moment right now as as our as people were trying to come into the country and what was what they were facing. And this was a play that looked at, you no, know, we have a whole history of immigration. We have lots of different immigrant immigrations, including the migration of native peoples from Georgia. West, the forced migration that happened to the Native Americans. So I was working on that play when the pandemic happened, and uh, we actually presented the first weekend 
and were not able to present the second weekend because the campus was closed. So uh, the whole campus closed right at the end of the quarter. I think we were in the ninth week or the 10th week when, when the shutdown was called. So we had a little bit of time to regroup before things started up again in the spring and a little time to kind of think about what we're going to do. And my spring assignment, fortunately, was administrative. I was doing advising, assessments, and those kinds of things. So I had an opportunity to learn a lot more about the tools. George and I were laughing about uh, Zoom and technology and all of that. So I had some time to, to, <laughs> to get stabilized before I'm uh, back in the, in the virtual classroom now in the fall semester. You know, so, I, get, I got a quick question because... You know, I was teaching. I wasn't. I wasn't in any production, um, but I was teaching. And did you? Let, I just. I'm curious what you told your students because it was unfold. So I don't know if anybody know uh, when you're teaching, memos come out, and things mm-hmm. are unfolding, and it's unclear really what's happening. And so your students are asking you questions, and you're kind of like just halfway making it up. <laughs> you know, trying to restore hope. Oh, so one of the things, for example, the students is like, is this going to be serious? You know, you know, people, I said, we're going to be fine. It'll go over, it'll blow over in a week, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so you do that, right? And then the, then the second week, ah, uh, we're over exaggerating. You know, COVID, been now, it's been here since last year. Do, why worry about it now? We're okay. Then the second week, then you get the memo. We're thinking about shutting down. And you like, and students are like, so what does that mean? But I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So what what was your like process? I'm sorry. That was exactly what we did. You have described it completely. Because we weren't certain that we were going to close the campus. I mean, for the longest time, it was, it was, oh, you know, we'll have some precautions. And then, and, and, Literally, it was like, nope, campus is closed. No one's coming back. Bye. <laughs> so uh, the students were, some of them were heartbroken that they, especially the students in the play, because they weren't going to get to do the second weekend. Um, we were able to uh, make some accommodations so that, uh, so that they felt a sense of completion. Um, and then it was a whole series of emails and, you know, okay, here's what we're going to do to finish up the work. You'll submit through Blackboard. Um, don't worry. We'll be back. See you in the spring. Yay. Yeah. And then that wasn't. <laughs> That's correct. It's just, I mean, yeah. I, that, should, that should have been filmed. Like, I think everyone's reaction. That's something <laughs> should have been filmed like a journal. The process. Yeah. Or what it looks like when you don't know what's going on with life. Right. And, and, and when you're the leadership and the leadership is saying, we don't know. And the people under the leadership are saying, we don't know. And the people, um, we'll let you know when we know what we don't know. <laughs> George, what was your experience? <laughs> well, uh, it's like, you know, as you're, as you're talking, I'm thinking about it. And, um, you know, I had been retired for a couple of years. And so, um, you know, I had been, you know, relaxing. I did some uh, volunteer work with the city and um, in an after-school program. And so I was kind of just really being undisciplined in terms of writing. Um, you know, I mean, because I didn't have a class or anything like that. And um, I mean, I had, I had uh, participated um, in applying for some fellowships 
and, you know, different things going on. So I was kind of, you know, kind of academic because I always try and take classes and I always try and have more writing experiences. So I had gone to some writers weekends and things like that, you know, in the previous year. So in um, about June or or, uh, May of last year, so May of 2019, I had a piece of work that was featured in um, an um, in a um, exhibition in Phoenix, Arizona. It was actually at uh, Arizona State University and it was looking at the great migration. So the um, blacks move, yeah, you were talking about it. So like blacks moving from the South, um, West and North, you know, so um, a lot of people wound up in Phoenix um, to pick cotton because it's a big crop there. So like the the surrounding area. So I was there and it was really like, I was kind of like, getting much more active in terms of promoting um, my writing. So um, kind of fast forward to the new year, I came out with the book. Oh, it's backwards, but it's witnessed. Okay, so I came out, so I came out with a chat book in, at the end of February. So um, at the end of February, I was in a, um, a poetry, you know, I'm going to write it down. So it was the San Gabriel, San Gabriel, Valley uh, Lit Fest, and it was at a new gallery in the city of Ontario. So it was packed. We were in there all day long. And so um, this was um, like the last week of February. So that same week, I was at Cal State San Bernardino because they had a poetry slam, and I helped to organize it. And so that was like on February 25th. The next week was when we started realizing we can't gather, we can't go out and promote anything. Um, so my idea going into 2020 was that I was going to be out really hustling and doing a lot of readings and promoting, you know, this book. And um, now I got to tell you that the book is available on Amazon. It's called Witness, and it was uh, published by Picture Show Press. And it's very um pertinent to what we're going through now in terms of social justice, because all of a sudden here we were and, you know, we had, you know, um, Ahmaud Aubrey, we had um, George uh, Floyd, you know, we had mm-hmm. Rihanna Taylor, all of these things. And, you know, like the entire social justice push um, and so many people being out in the street. And if anybody knows my work, I write about uh, social justice, family and love poems. So it's like, you know, at least a third of my work is always talking about the fact that, you know, we have black people dying at the hands of law enforcement and there's not a sense of outrage or there's not a sense that we, um, that it's, there's not a sense that there's something wrong with it. I mean, there is, but you know what I'm saying? It wasn't, it wasn't global enough. It wasn't profound enough. And so, um, all of a sudden the pandemic was here, you know, and, and it was just like, and so it went from, oh, we got a few cases, everything's going to be okay. Because when you guys are talking about like the memos that are coming out, um, the, the, the federal government was telling us things that there's no way of knowing. Because at every step along the way, it was kind of like they were putting a smile on this thing. And it was like, you know, this was serious. And so um, I look at myself like if, if there was a bullseye for, for, for COVID-19, they could put my picture on it. You know, senior citizen, black man. You know, and so um, I have been really, really um, serious about social distancing and about wearing a mask when I go out in public. So so this is something where um, you know, I saw something that said, you know, I'm not going to die of stupidity. And um, 
you know, that's the thing is it's like, you know, my, my whole thing is just preserving myself past the point where we see some actual um, effective approach to getting this under control, whether it's a vaccine or whether we just have to socially distance for the rest of our lives. Um, you know, I'm just like, hey, I'm, I'm here for the long haul or at least as long of the haul as I can be here. You know, that's wow. Like both of you were in production and promotion and marketing and launching and already active in in your in your pieces and performances that y'all are presenting. And it's just like fascinating. I mean, wow. I, so my eighth book, St. Murray's uh, Project, I already had plans coming out this year. And I just started working on it. And then I had speaking engagements. So, you know, my technique is let me just speak and present, you know, and then hint that there's a book coming out. So I had uh, 10 schools I was supposed to speak at. Um, and I was coordinating between, I mean, you're talking about high school, middle school, from L.A., Murrieta, Paris, like you name them. I was creating a tour for myself. Mm-hmm. And so... And I was just laying it out and I figured, all right, by the summer, uh, I have some type of sample already to be launched with the book. And then when I go back in the fall, the book comes out and I'm going to do another speaking engagement. And then I'm going to do the St. Mary's play, the whole thing. Um, And then you you hear this, you know, people are dying from COVID-19 and you don't know what it means. I know for me, I didn't, I don't, I'm still processing what does this mean? Um, because when you grow up in New York City in the projects, death is part of life. So, and you grow up in a certain demographic or community, it's like, all right, people die every day. That's literally the attitude. People die every day. All right, cool. As long as it's not people I know, I'm used to people dying. I see people die in front of me. You know, okay. But what does it mean specifically to me, my family, and my community? Because I'm unclear. And what does it mean for performing and arts and speaking Right. And slowly but surely, we moved into this space where I love to hug and give shout outs. And then it became don't touch me. You know, don't look at me. (laughs) Uh, Stay way away from me. And it became not just social distancing, but it became also anti. um, It became antisocial, you know. And it became unclear and it became more about fear. And a lot of us are still uncertain, like, what does this mean? How does it impact us? And so, you know, and I'm going into my next question because I'm curious. Because uh, you already kind of hinted at it. There's been a shift in what you're doing in the arts. Um, so, I mean, now that we're here, what's happening now? What is the shift happening? Oh, Dr. Kathy, can you go ahead and... Well, I'm glad you asked. Because <laughs> um, it has been such an interesting year. Um, I'm with you, George. I'm in it for the long haul. As long as the haul can be, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to maintain my social distance. But it was so interesting because... Um, Things were closed down and and it it was very isolating for a long period of time. Like I said, I wasn't teaching in the spring quarter. It was our last quarter in the quarter system. There were all kinds of events that I had not thought about how I would feel about that. 
performative kinds of events, the performance of graduation, the performance of, and you suddenly could see how important those rituals, those social opportunities are to us all. I mean, because students were crushed that that was not going to happen. So then um, we pivoted to, okay, so what can we do instead? How can we provide something like the graduation experience? And there was um, on campus, uh, members of the Black Faculty, Staff and Student Association and the Black Student Union all put our heads together. We did a video and got participation from people that you never would have thought would have been involved in such craziness. Of course, you know, the president would do a shout out to the grads, but all kinds of chairs and deans said, oh yeah, I want to say something, you know, so we gave them 20 seconds each or whatever to do, and people dressed up and people wore school up, you know. So, so there was a real kind of social, we have to maintain the, the pieces of society that make us social. Even though we can't be together, we have to, we did a drive through uh, black graduation where the grads picked up their, uh, we usually do certificates and kente cloths. And we did that as a drive through event with masks and gloves, but it was a lot of fun. Um, one of the organizations that I'm involved with, the Black Theater Network, was planning our national meeting, national and international conference in Detroit, a city that is uh, largely Black, that has undergone a very lot of social criticism over the years, uh, had fallen into great disrepair and is in the process of being reborn. So we were working very closely with arts leadership in Detroit, to put on this fabulous conference. I'm from Detroit. So, you know, I was going back to my hometown, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Pandemic. Oh, <laughs> okay. And initially we were thinking, okay, we will go and we'll do a reduced conference. And then it very quickly became clear that, that the membership was not going to go because there are so many theater artists in places like New York and Virginia and all along the East Coast, which at that time was the hot spot. So they weren't going to travel out of there to somewhere else. And if they got to Detroit, would they be able to get off the plane at one point? So the incoming president, Chris Berry, for years has been saying, we need to be responsive to the technology. We need to be you know, zooming our panels. We need to make this information available to the larger world. So when this happened, he said, what if we do the whole conference online? And some of us said, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Break it down. And he says, and, and in working with a small subcommittee uh, and several technical support teams and so forth, we streamed an event called Black Theater Week. And we did two events for five over five days, two things every day, including some events that are always part of the conference offering, the Young Scholars Panel, um, a special uh, welcoming kind of event, um, and those kinds of things. But because we were online, we were able to get the participation of international scholars. If we had tried to invite them to Detroit, we'd have had to pay for it, number one. Um, and we'd have had to work around their schedules. We didn't have to work about around that. Dominique Morisot came in from her living room. Woody came, came in from his living room. Michael Eric Dyson 
So all of a sudden, we had this kind of national presentation. Um, so that was a great bonus for us. We were able to get some grants and give some money back to Detroit artists because we weren't going to be there supporting the Detroit arts by our presence. So we were able to make um, some funding available to them. And the thing that was funny was in, I always think of the technology as sort of a barrier, right? That, you know, here's this technical thing that I have to negotiate. But in fact, because these, these individuals were speaking to us from their homes or their offices or these places of great comfort to them, they didn't have to travel. They didn't have to dress up in a suit. They didn't have to negotiate the airport. We got these very relaxed, genuine, open conversations. Um, Michael Eric Dyson and Dominique Morisot were talking back and forth like they were, you know, sitting on your porch having lemonade. It was hilarious. It was wonderful. So that made me say, oh, okay. And then people tuned in because they wanted to see who else was there. And in the chat, the chat feature thing, um, people would shout out their friends. Oh, so-and-so, you're here. Hey, what's going on? You know, and so there was the conversation with the national figure presenting and then the sidebar with your colleagues. And I had not thought about that as kind of, oh, here's this important social venue. And we got to be exposed to artists that otherwise we just would not have had that kind of exposure. So that was a great boost uh, getting ready to go in back into the school year of, okay, this is, this is how this can work. So that was, that was my uplift in the pandemic. What about wow. you? That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. George, that's a beautiful. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, there is so much ground to cover. I'm going to try and be real concise. Like, like I said, at the end of February, I was performing in a, um, in a lit fest, in a poetry festival. And um, now I got to do kind of like a shout out. So um, John and Ann Brantingham um, have worked in the city of Pomona with one of the regular featured monthly poetry readings that goes on. So then they wound up getting a loft and they turned that loft into a gallery. And one of their goals with this gallery in Ontario was that it would deal with education and it would deal with, you know, um, you know, they would curate art shows and then they would have, um, you know, they would have, you know, readings and things like that. All of this happened right when the pandemic hit. And so um, part of what happened was that um, John Brantingham started a monthly, uh, actually a weekly podcast. And the podcast is called Inland Valley Art and Literature Show. So I'm one of the pretty regular guests. I make it as often as I can, but you know, you know it's Sunday afternoons is like, I, I may be here or there, but, um, but, we, but there's a podcast called the Inland Valley Art and Literature Show. And like, if you go on Facebook, and, you know, and search that, you'll find it and you'll be able to listen to the different podcasts. But what we do is we talk about the murals that are in the city. We talk about art that's on display that we might just notice. And so um, also what we do is we challenge each other to create, um, you know, different, like we give each other prompts, basically. And, you know, we, we you know, um, we, you know, we basically 
create discussion about art within the Inland Empire, but you know, specifically in the area around Pomona where I live. And so that was one of the first things that came out of it, but already, um, and Alex, you know me, it's like, I've been talking about like, you know, like doing more along the lines of short films or something that are based on poetry. And so um, what it has done is it's made me kind of go out and get some editing um, software and to get some audio software so that I can start looking at um, potential projects and, and again, it's like, I don't want to force like anything on myself, you know, but at the same time, I think that as we start experimenting, because I take a lot of what I consider um, uh, street photography, but it's funny because a lot of it is actually like squirrels and butterflies and birds and stuff. You know? <laughs> so it's like, you know, those, those are my street subjects, you know, but, uh, but also I do a lot of photography from poetry readings because many times you'll go to a poetry reading nobody's documenting anything. So what I try and do is come out with some relatively decent photos. So I'm looking at doing a lot of video montages. And one of the things that I'm most excited about is since we can't really gather in large groups, is looking at potential locations where I might go to someone and say, hey, could we do a poetry reading in your home where we socially distance, you know, do it in the yard or something, you know, but to have small groups of people and do kind of like custom readings for that specific you know, group. And it's like, if you've been to like, when I, when I do a poetry reading, it's relatively intimate anyway. So I think that um, we are challenged with opportunities, you know, like it's just a different way of doing things. Like Kathy was saying, um, like if you looked at the a democratic convention when they did the nomination and they went all around the country and they had those short clips, um, I thought that they seized an opportunity that um, translated really well you know, um, it, like, you know, it had humor. You could sense the different individuals' personalities coming out. And so, again, I think that what we're going through right now, other than the fact that this virus kills you, um, maybe we needed something other than people starving, getting kicked out of their apartments. Maybe we needed something in this country to slow us down, you know, to, to, to center us and to say, you know, um, what is important to you in life? Is it just being a consumer and, you know, working, you know, eight, 10, 12 hours a day on a job, or is it your life? You know, you know what I'm saying? And, and again, I don't want to go on and on, but, um, you know, what's important. And I think that for too long, the focus in this country has been hustling and making a buck. And if you know me, you know, I, I give away more books than I sell. And uh, my attitude is always like, you know, I, I tell people, I'm like Bill Withers. I had a job before I became a poet. So um, I'm always going to um, provide for myself. But um, in order to share my work, you know, I'll give it away if I have to. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, if, I, if it would uh, provide me with um, you know, a, a, a lifestyle that I really enjoy that would allow me to do more research, to, that would allow me, because a lot of times you're spending money to create art and um, you don't want to lose yeah, you don't wanna, it's like, you know, you don't want to gamble with the rent money, you know, but um, if you can channel your book into the ability to travel and to, to um, do research and things like that, then that's, that's what I'm more so about. But I look at, I look at this situation as it's provided me with a strange opportunity that I just want to embrace the opportunity. Now you touched on my life. Can I speak back to that? 
because I think you're absolutely right. Um, as as much as I as as many people I know sort of you know confronted, oh no, we're not going out, we're not going to see the symphony, I'm not going into the Mark Taper, I'm not I'm not traveling. Then I had to say, well, what have I got here that I can read again? Or yeah. you know, right. So I found myself you know, rediscovering a lot of poetry, plays, um, finding things online, friends that I have that had that have podcasts or online things that I've never had time to watch. You know, suddenly I had the time. Um, Dance performances of Jacob's Pillow and um, there was another, I mean, the American Dance Festival. These are not places I would be able to go, but I had the time now and they had something online. And so I said, okay. And um, uh, while you say you've been giving away things for free, uh, the experience in the Black Theater Network was the more we, we made Black Theater Week free, our membership doubled. People joined the organization because they had the opportunity. I find myself, if I go and watch something and I can afford to a lot of, um, a lot of art communities are doing give what you can or, you know, zero, $10, $20, you know, what can you afford to pay? And if I can afford to pay, I'll pay, you know, because I, I want to support those communities. And I think um, there, I think there's another uh, philanthropic part of the black community, especially that now is saying, ah, here's the artists I've been looking to support that I didn't have time to find or there was so much noise that it was hard to hear those voices and now we're in a space where where we can we can do some attentive listening you know yeah you know uh something really um good that came out of this was that my publisher for witness suggested why don't we do a fundraiser because i couldn't go out and promote or anything like that so basically on facebook um, we did a fundraiser where the proceeds from the sale of the book would go to um, Colin Kaepernick's um, organization, Know Your Rights, and then also the eight, the 8 Can't Wait. So we did a drive that basically took the proceeds from the sale of the book and contributed to those two charitable organizations. And um, it, was, it was inspiring. You know, it was something that might not have happened had... Um, not the environment where we weren't getting out um, publicizing it. So, it. so that was like a really good experience. And it was something that, that I had wanted to do, but I didn't know how to necessarily, I mean, I have, a, I have a blueprint now in a way to try and support ideas that I believe in. You know, this question of what becomes important to you, mm-hmm. it's, it's the, it's the piece that's forcing everybody to answer this question while they're, the shutdown is happening. And, um, and then going back to your pieces, like going back to your artwork, going back to your production and saying, huh, I never saw that that way before. Um, I literally rewrote at least half of St. Mary's. It was already kind of already done. But I said... You know how you're home and it's like, all right, the first two days or the first week of shutdown, it was cool. I'm not going to lie to you. All I needed to break two weeks. I can do two weeks. Like, 
you know, my son had fun. He's two. My wife is like, oh, we kicking it. You know, it was good. It was, it was, it was so cool, right? The first two weeks. Then the, because you don't need planning for two weeks, if that. Then the third week comes around and then it gets weird because you're not ready for the third week. You're like, wait, we're still here. Like, they're not going to open it for, are they serious? And so then the month comes in and it's awkward. Now you're just looking at each other. And my son's like, oh, I'm not going to school. All right, we're kicking it then. My wife is like, what is happening? I don't know. Um, And the, you know, we can't get childcare. You know, there's a lot of funny things that are happening. And then I'm like, you know, then you need a break because now you're in the house too much. Now you need a hobby because now it's like, it's it's just chaotic. And then I realized, well, this is what it's about. It's about family. It's about community. It's about art. I need to reevaluate myself, what I'm doing, what values I'm adding, not just to myself, but my family and the community. So I started to be active in the community, start, you know, working with organizations and committees. I started to advise and become mentors to students. I started reaching out. Like, I'm like, you know what? I need to do something more with my life other than get a check. You know, I need to figure out what is meaningful for my life. Because, you know, you taste, in my, in my age, I'm chasing the money, trying to pay bills and trying to, and it's like, wait a minute. And then I see my son. I'm like, I guess I'm teaching him because I'm home. He's home. So now I create a syllabus for him. I got a curriculum. I introduce him to art pieces. I, you know, he draws art pieces. Uh, I'm just saying, like, when, you're, when you raise that question of what becomes important, I think you realize, man, like, we're not, we're not guaranteed to be here. And what happens when you're gone? Like, what is left besides, the, you know, the flesh is gone. But what ideas or things have you left behind to inspire and encourage anything around you, even yourself? And so, um, you know, powerful points. And uh, I mean, wow. So I just wanted to say, wow, this has been very powerful. We're not ending, but I'm just saying this has been really juicy so far. Uh, okay, okay. I got You got to tell how old your son is, because uh, your son with the syllabus is just cracking me up. <laughs> Well, my son is two. He's two years old. Yeah, oh yeah, he's college age. <laughs> he's two. And, you know, but okay, so check this out. Because I'm, I'm a paranoia. I'm a paranoid parent. We look at Black arts and Black spaces, and we know that, re- that kind of informs our education. Art has always been the information of how we see the world, how we speak to each other, what advice we should be looking at. And since arts has been going through this weird thing the last 15 years, you know, being defunded, um, not receiving as much funding. Uh, and then even in schools, it's been cut back in schools. Um, when I look at Black students and, and especially Black males in schools, they do the worst in academia. Like, they have the worst records. Retention rates, dropout rates, literacy rates, you name it. So my thing was like, look, you ain't, you got two college parents, and yeah, United School, or he was going to a, a developing center. Um, everything shut down. So I'm like, all right, cool. I'm your teacher. Mommy's teaching. What does the syllabus look like for a two-year-old? Um, <laughs> what, you know, like, I spent hours. I, so now I got it down packed. I actually got a syllabus, a curriculum for him. Uh, so he does stream science, uh, technology, reading, you know, all the, all the cool acronyms, but math, art. So um, anyway, yes, he has a vocabulary now, 250 words. <laughs> um, 
He draws. Wait, wait. wait. He has as many words as our president. <laughs> you you don't have to you don't have to bite on that you don't have to comment on that. Yeah, just just let it just let it float out there all right cool all right it's just gonna be sitting there in space wow but yes um so yeah he has a, yes so yes yes <laughs> but yeah like art today i'm more tech savvy i don't know about you but man I've heard of Zoom yeah. many years ago, but it was like, yeah, whatever, Skype, Zoom. They're all the same thing, you know, Google Meet. Then you're like, no, I need to really know how to do this. Like, I really need <laughs> to. And, you know, what does the camera angle look like? Am I, you know? And then you got to make sure that you're properly dressed, like, you know, you don't actually get up and it's like, wait a minute, where's, your, you know? So um, this has been one of those kind of like, you're looking at yourself, looking at other folks, and then you're reflecting constantly. It's this constant, mm-hmm. you know, and it's nonstop, you know, and it's just like, how has it impacted me? I would say that I, I took a lot of stuff that I was doing more serious, you know, um, yeah. and, you know, now I wake up with the purpose um, that's not scattered, but it's just like really focused. This is what I'm working with this week. This is who I'm talking to this week. This is the project we're going to be tackling. This is what I'm doing with the family. This is, you know, like, it's like, and I don't know what's going to happen after this shutdown. I, I feel like there's some things that I've, some habits that I've created. I don't know about you. There's some new things about yeah. myself that I'm like, I think I'm going to keep this. Yeah. Because cook, cooking more, because there ain't no restaurant, you know, eating, like, <laughs> yeah. uh, tell me, tell me, tell me, what, what are y'all doing? <laughs> that the, the, that that uh, fourth week when I said, "Wait a minute, how many times have I cooked this?" <laughs> you need to you need to up your game here. You can't keep you know. Please come on now. Um, so yes, definitely that piece, and definitely the uh, appreciation of uh, home and family because. I get so busy working that I wasn't paying attention to, you know, wow, uh, the number of things that needed repair in my house, number one. And then number two, the many blessings that I had, you know, just to be able to sit in a room and say, wow, what a great view out this window. Or, you know, man, the sunlight coming in here is really nice. Or let me have some coffee on the back porch or you know, so so I, so I I agree with you, Alex. I fell in love with that part. I was like, "Oh, this is amazing!" I should, how did I not know? You know, I could sit here and have coffee because I was putting my coffee in a to-go cup and getting in my car and hurrying up. Yeah. You know, so so the slowdown has been really wonderful in that way. And then the thinking about because I am uh, I am an artist educator, and I and and the teaching piece of that. So thinking about how can I refine and reach through the screen? Because it can't be, uh, there's a lot of improvisation that goes in. There's a lot of off the cuff when you have people in front of you. When you don't have people in front of you, you have to be very intentional um, and respecting the attention span. And you can only look at the screen for so long, you know? So really trying to make sure that uh, what I'm saying is is 
sensible and concise. And what I front load, what is my syllabus, you know, what, what's the information that you have coming into this space that will help us maximize our time together and make sense out of it. And then away you go. And then the other thing that's been striking for me, um, particularly because of the, because of where I am, who I am in the world is how conscious we have to be of how differently um, people are living in this time. Uh, we were joking before we started about the fact that, you know, my studio is a three foot square and that's really all I have to pay attention to. But then thinking about uh, students who are coming into a space who are, um, uh, you know, living in their cars or their home life is uh, troubling. And this is the only space they get to come into where they're, where they're in a space that they recognize, right? You know, oh, it's my class and I have to go and how important that can be to some, to some people. Um, you know, that it's their getaway from whatever the family dynamic. All of those kinds of things that you kind of say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As you said, oh, yeah, yeah, Zoom, Skype, blah, blah, blah. And now beginning to think of, you know, this may be a life preserver for somebody. You know, this may be their, their tether to normal um, uh, in the world that they're going through. So there's that piece of it. And then the other piece of it is the number of family and friends I have connected with because we have time and we can Zoom, you know, and they reach out. I, I am in a, uh, I'm ashamed to tell you, in a reunion with my elementary school class because one of my classmates, yeah, reached out. And so we do a monthly Zoom and, you know, try to remember stuff and just chat. And of course, we're all over the world. Right, they're they're everywhere. One of my classmates is in Nova Scotia, so 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 that kind of awareness of all the ways, all the layers of the world. I think even though we're isolated, I'm I'm struck by that piece of it. I mean, yeah, it's a lot. I mean, I know how to put in a water heater. <laughs> I got I got plumbing. I've never done plumbing in my life. I fixed two toilets in the house. I mean, my wife is looking at me like I'm a superhero. I'm like, nah, it's just COVID-19 and YouTube has been my best friend. Um, so yeah, let's look, let's talk about how space has been reimagined and how this shift has impacted space uh, a little bit. Um, I know you said something that it is, you know, this is in George who it has been a blessing. Mm -hmm. And then at some parts, there's been curses to it. And we're, the, we're living with, between the contradiction and trying to decipher what becomes the outcome of the contradiction, right? And so I say that because I know when I'm teaching, uh, you know, students needed a space to go to get away from where they were at. Mm -hmm. I had students who were dealing with domestic violence issues. I have students who were dealing with too many family members in the household. They can't, you know, and you're right, students who are homeless. And you have artists, the same thing, who, who have, and you need that space where you go to take a break, like that respite, so you can just keep sanity. I always felt like artists, because by heart, that's pretty much at the core of who we are. We're artists. And um, everything else comes after that, these titles and these, you know. So as artists, what keeps you saying is the art 
to reimagine the world yourself and how that correlates and how that exists, right? And, and through your mind frame, that philosophy, ideology, mythology of self and, and space. So I'm asking you all, how is, because, you know, this also could be stressful. Too much Zoom. I don't know. I've done 10 hours of Zoom. Um, I was averaging eight. I was like, this is a job. <laughs> just to sit here and just talk to you. Um, how is the space reimagined now? I know George is mentioning doing backyard sessions. Um, and I know you talked about the Zoom, uh, this panel and just reaching out on a monthly or, and I'm hearing about podcasts, but how's the space being reimagined? Is the space going to be neglected? Are we going to be here forever? Or is it going to be a hybrid? What do you see happening? Yeah, well, I mean, for me, in June, I just kind of wrote this year off. Um, by the time we got to June and there was no um, wide range testing, um, because for me, the thing that I need is to be able to get up in the morning and take a really quick test and have the people that I deal with be able to get up in the morning and take a really quick, accurate test so that we can get together. But um, because it's so uncertain um, and we could kind of see that there wasn't really going to be any improvement, then um, in June, I just kind of said, you know, we're going to have an election in November and hopefully we'll get somebody who will address this scientifically. And because, you know, we're dealing with the virus, you can't say, oh, one day it's going to magically disappear, you know. Um, and so that was so in, I mean, in, in a roundabout way. So, so in terms of dealing with space, um, I pretty much resigned myself to the fact that I was going to be kind of sequestered um, and that, you know, my apartment and I live alone. So it's, it's just like I have some days where I just want to go out on my balcony and scream. You know, just just to just to rile people up or something. But, um, you know, so, I mean, for me, like and when, when um, Kathy was talking earlier about, you know, like her class and getting together with people that you normally wouldn't. At a certain point, um, I had people who were calling me just to say, how are you doing? And it kind of inspired me to start calling people to say, you know what, I haven't talked to you in a little while. How are you doing? So, um to me, the space is pretty much electronic. So now a little bit more, I'm kind of, you know, meeting with people and socially distancing, like, you know, we can get together at the park or wherever and just kind of hang out for a little while. But um, that social interaction, like you were talking about it earlier, like, you know, we, yeah, we're huggers, you know, like, like we're people like we get together and, you know, hey, you got to come over here and, you know, give me, you know, give me some love, you know. And so um, that part of it was very, very difficult for me. And um, I'm kind of learning how to exist without that part. But um, like, you know, so, so like one thing, like when you're saying, how long is this going to last? It's unknown. I, like for me, it's like until we get uh, a vaccine or until we get um, some type of uh, uh, accurate testing that we can do quickly. And, you know, before we venture out. Um, there's not much else to do um, because other than that, it's kind of like a crapshoot. You're taking a chance on other people behaving responsibly. And so um, I'm not that trusting, you know? So, so anyway, um, uh, I see, like I said, like, you know, we can, we can look and find where we feel safe existing 
and try and create those type of encounters. But, you know, like I said, um, for me, everything is going to be based on kind of being responsible in terms of wearing a mask, taking all the precautions not to spread the virus. And then, um, you know, dealing with people who I trust not to put me in situations where they might spread it to me. I'm trying to unmute here. Can you hear me? <laughs> Technology challenge. So I'm a little more hopeful um, because I, because I, you know, me and my prayer team, we got this. This is going to be over. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Um, but I have really been having a lot of fun with trying to figure out what this, what is this environment and what else can you do with it? And I picked up my pen here because one of the things that I was forced to do in the COVID environment as part of some goofiness with friends was to figure out, um, we did a puppet show. We did a, you know, let's make some stuff move around inside the frame thing. My daughter uh, who lives with me and my partner, you know, just messing around with what will the technology do? Um, how expressive you you can be if you move close to the camera or away from the camera, and and just trying to really say, if this is if this is what it's going to be to make art, to make uh, the expressive art of theater of storytelling, what does that mean? Um, and we arrived at a lot. I attended a Zoom show, a play on Zoom. It was a musical. The music did not always work because it's very hard to sync the sound. But some of the ideas about character and um, action and, you know, what makes a story really interesting? Why do we stay with it if it's not on television, which is a very different medium than what you can do, you know, in your home studio? And the young people, this was a, a college production, and the young people involved in the production, you know, moved the camera, uh, went around the room, changed their shirt so they were in a new costume. And, and what was surprising was how effective all those things were, which means that at the end of the day, good story is good story is good story. Yeah. Good storyteller is good storyteller is good storyteller. Um, and we're going to have to be inventive about what are the props, what are the things that support the story, which is a challenge for my designer friends and my technician friends as they try to say, because whatever, for a, for a kind of theatrical performance, whatever I'm creating in my little square has to in some way unite with the other squares. So what does that mean? And how do we know that? And what's the audience willing to accept? And there, the students or the, 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 the novice designers are having a lot of fun with that. You know, what, what happens if I throw a ball from my little square to your little square to you know, how do we make that go? And what does that mean? And then how do we give people the tools to do that? That's been a huge challenge. You know, students who would be coming to the campus to use a sewing machine don't have a sewing machine at home. So how do we teach them sewing? We don't give them all a machine, but we can give them all needles and thread and fabric. And you know what I mean? So, so in some ways, there's a kind of backwards and forward in this time. We, we have to go back to some very basic storytelling kind of skills in order to be 
really modern and really smart. Um, I saw a clip of something where they, the thing that unified the story was all sort of hand drawings, like, like doodles you would see a little kid do on lined paper. And everybody had those and that, the, the strike lining of the paper, the use of the magic markers was the thing that tied the three things together. So, so, so we're back there with Alex's son in some ways learning the art and in some ways we're, you know, in this modern world trying to figure out, you know, how do I get on the Zoom line? Is my sound working? All of the technological pieces of that. And the other thing is this is a time of great equality because uh, many more people can, when Hamilton, to give you a really obvious example, when Hamilton came out and they said, it's free, everybody can watch it. I don't know about you all, but many of us could not afford a ticket to go see Hamilton live. And that was not going to happen for me. So the chance to see the film was, you know, stunning, right? And a great opportunity for me to go back and rethink that play, rethink that musical. And I, and I see other people following suit because Broadway as $500 a ticket that's not going to happen. People have found too many other ways to be inventive in this medium, um, in the small salons. I'm so excited about this idea of small venues doing close readings for playwrights, for poets, for singers. The opportunity to be up close, not up close, but to be in the space, in a small space with somebody, I think that's going to rejuvenate um, what we're doing and remind us of the importance of making the connection. You know, it can't just be that you're a glorious singer and you're in the Super Bowl and you're playing to a million and a half people and they're watching you on the Jumbotron. That's one thing. But there's something to be said for I'm in the room with the artist and I'm, I'm watching the artist work, really work. And the appreciation of the spaces that are right around us, those murals, those um, fountains. I was out at a, I did a, a video project at one of our parks in San Bernardino outside the Rosa Parks building. There's an amazing fountain there that I would not have discovered except that nobody's down there. And I was trying to do some, some yeah. photography, <laughs> right? And stumbled upon uh, it. And I said, this is here, <laughs> you know, so that, so the, the, the equal, the opportunity for equalization during this time is, is going to be really exciting. I think. Well, I have a lot more behind me, so we're definitely keeping it 100 right now. This is the Zoom life, uh, so everything that's going to happen is going to happen. So look out for the lawnmower, uh, the plane, and the birds are going to be all through this podcast. That's life, though. Um, and this is this is the new norm. Uh, I started filming a lot more and looking at spaces different. Uh, I don't know if people have noticed, but I got a series of videos that have been popping up. Uh, you know, I did one for my son, uh, black boy. Um, I did one for a sorority, a fraternity. Um, they'd had a poem and we had to go to the Martin Luther King statue and then do like this whole, I have my drones, everything. And so it was a, an amazing production. So, uh, what tips and tricks do you have for folks when it comes to, um, writing? And I know you mentioned some, uh, 
Uh, you just mentioned some of the stuff uh, you were doing with your class and through your Zooms, uh, Dr. Irvin. Uh, is there any tips and tricks and also inspiration to keep uh, writing and being creative? Because, you know, the blues came out of depression, right? The blues and a lot of art actually manifested when the country was going through hardships. And so I feel like we're in this space where we're going back to this hardship and we're going to get this new redefined art that kind of comes from this era. Um, I feel like, you know, hip hop was born the same way. Um, jazz was, you know, all this stuff comes from histories of depression or uh, conflict or tension that kind of suppresses a group. And so what do you think? What are the new tools and techniques? And what do you think is uh, being created out there right now that might reshape what the form looks like in the future? Oh, um, let me do this. Let, let me read a piece for you that um, was inspired by, I'm, I'm sorry, and I'm printing it right now. So, but um, let me read this piece that was inspired by a cover of The New Yorker. Um, like The New Yorker at one point um, printed what was basically like George Floyd, but within his body was all the faces of people who have been murdered by police. And so, um, um, in poetry, it's ekphrastic art. That's a piece of a piece of uh, writing that's inspired by you know some other piece of artwork. And so I have a poem that's in, entitled "For George Floyd." Your sturdy face seems to have been designed to become famous, or sacrificed and mourned. Perhaps the universe tossed a coin, or maybe God did this. Either way, I am so angry. But still, for some reason, I rejoice. It is as if all of your brothers and sisters, nieces and nephews who have fallen before have been waiting just for you in this moment. Their restless spirits had been trapped and circled around us silently lamenting while we cried out, where is their justice? But by your gentleness upon that dais of asphalt, I believe that you may have set them free, and I believe that you may have performed a baptism of sorts. It arrived like fiery tongues at Pentecost and has burned everyone's eyes open. So, um, so, that, so that was a piece that um, the idea that when George Floyd was murdered so visibly and so callously in front of us, it was as if you could not ignore all of the others who had died before him. And in some ways it feels like that moment is slipping away right now. But I think that as an artist, we need to keep our eyes on the ball. You know, we need to keep our eyes on the prize. And it is that these type of deaths have to be stopped. And so for me, um, uh, like I said, I saw that, that visual and then I was able to generate this piece. And so um, it's, it's like, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but I think that we have to um, just let our spirit do what it does and don't become so absorbed in our own, um, uh, you know, like, like depression. Cause I, I'm talking to a lot of people who are very anxious now. And it's like, you know what, use that energy. 
you know, like, like, you know, if, if you don't feel right, there's a reason why you don't feel right. And it's, if you're an artist, then use that to create. I would absolutely agree with that. Um, and uh, I would, in, I, I uh, would encourage us. Uh, it's, it's so tempting to withdraw from the awfulness of, uh, George Floyd's moment, the uh, Jacob Blake, Maurice. I mean, you know, every time we see one of these, I am really tempted to go lay down for a couple of hours and come back when it's better kind of moment. Um, and that's necessary too, but to, to capture a couple of words or to um, think about who's the next character that should be telling this story or how do we, how do we, keep moving down the field or putting one foot in front of the other. Cause I, cause I agree with you, George, I think, you know, the, there's a, there's a tension to get out of the moment cause it's so awful. But uh, as you said, Alex, that's where, that's where the stuff is. That's where the, that's where the creative potency lives is in the, in the trouble, in the moment when you're saying, Ooh, I really wish I could, think about this, you know, and, uh, and in being open and, and paying attention to not, not just the, the, the major narrative, what's being said in the news, but the minor narrative, what's being said on television, what's being said in commercial, what's being said, you know, how are, um, how are we, how, how are we socially positioning ourselves? What is society right now? Um, because there's a lot, I think there's a lot out there to be observed and to be, I was watching the video music awards just for a few minutes. That was all I could take. <laughs> and I said, wow, what is this about? What is music about? You know, because I know what Coltrane is about and I know what Bela was about, but what is this about? You know, what is this about compared to what hip hop was about when uh, when hip hop, so so just being mindful of it, where are other artists finding themselves, and what are they what are they saying back to? How are they speaking to power right now? You know that that piece of that too. And and you hit on some powerful points, both of you. And um, yeah, this can be an opportunity or a tragedy, and uh, and the way this culture and this country's built, even linguistically, right? I'm an English professor. And, you know, last week I found myself looking at language and saying, we need to redefine some of these things because it's <laughs> outdated. You know, linguistically, if you look at the language, even on paper, even the words itself, they're outdated. So I did an assignment with my class, um, <laughs> a writing assignment. And it was like, look, what shapes your frame, what creates the framework for you to see the world? How do you, who, who influences you? How are you shaped? Do you shape yourself? The society shape you? What shapes you? And you know, we had a bunch of these assignments, right? And, and people responded. Da, 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 da. So I go, okay, look, you know what? Let's, we're on Zoom. I say, you know what? While I'm live with you on Zoom, let's go check out the definition for white. What does it say for white? You go in there, and I'm thinking, you know, I haven't, I shouldn't check before looking, but I was like, 
let me go see what it said. Because it's live. So I'm like, this is kind of bold. But you're in the moment, you're teaching me like, you know what? Let me explain. Let me go take this word. So we go to the definition of white. You see it. Pureness. Um, uh, innocence. You see all the terms, right? And you're like, oh, man. And I'm like, damn, I want to be white. You know, and I'm just talking aloud. But I'm like, this is good. This is good promo for the word white, right? And then I was like, well, you know what we're about to go check out. <laughs> Let's go see the definition for black. And it's grimy, it's dark, it's angry. It's, these are the definitions right now. Right now, these are the definitions. So when people have some type of angst or feel some kind of way when it comes to black people uh, or black culture, it's already embedded in the language. The opposition is already embedded linguistically. And we haven't gone back to redefine language. And I think as artists and scholars, this is the time to start rethinking, like, why, it, why are we in this space? Why is it Black Lives Matter a thing again? And it's been a thing for centuries. But why now? Why now is it a global theme? Why are people interested in it now? What, what is happening now besides the pandemic, the shutdown and unemployment and, you know, that this has taken a national and international, uh, and even in the arts and sports, like sports are shut down for a day or so. Yeah. Um, you, you, can't, like, you can't run from it. You know, normally there'll be like two minutes and then they move on to the next thing. But this is stuck. And it's, it looks like it's going to stick for a while. So Black Lives Matter, like what is happening with that that is reshaping it might be reshaping the way we communicate, uh, teach, uh, see our families, our neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what are, you, what are your responses to this? Okay, Alex, um, you know I got a poem for that, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to read. Okay, I didn't, I didn't this sign is the right on po- here to this, just read this, my poems. Hey, this okay. is the right podcast for it. And pl- by all means, you're hitting it right on the money. Go right ahead. Okay, so, I, so this poem is called Black Words on White Paper. What difference in our world would we see if ink were white and paper black? Would literature, religion, history, philosophy, you or me, say something more relevant, more observant? Or would our words simply bleed, an amalgam of pulp and dye, gray, half-true characters with faint edges that tire the eye and lull readers to sleep? Black paper, white ink, what if all the news and everything we think were brought to us that way? Would we then have sayings like, it was a white day, meaning dirty, soiled, disastrous, diabolic, or immoral? Would we then say black when we wanted to portray clean, pure, heroic, true, or honorable? Well, I come from a world of white paper and black ink, but still, I like to waste my time and think, what if it was the other way around? I love that poem. I need it for so, my class. Huh? So, well, okay, you can have it, but, but it's in my book, Witness, <laughs> which, which is available on Amazon. But um, uh, at, this, at the same time, though, like exactly what you're saying about looking up those terms, you know, um, it is how we are preconditioned to have ideas. But, uh, but the Black Lives Matter, I am so encouraged that I saw people with every age, every demographic, 
out. And I think that it is the catalyst is these young people who are just looking and saying, you know what, this isn't right. And, and you know, having this, this profound sense of right and wrong, even though this generation, it, like everything's been snatched out from under them. You know, it, it's just, um, they are, I think that maybe it was their struggle that makes them appreciate right and wrong differently than other, uh, other generations. And one thing I would say about as, as a black man, I think that when I, like, you know, my generation was taught, work hard, you know, just, just keep on working, you'll get there. And the younger generation is saying, wait a minute, you know, I don't have to prove my worth to you. I know my worth and this is not right. So I'm, I'm, I'm tremendously encouraged by the idea that, um, you know, people have taken a stand. Now the thing is to sustain it, you know, to, to, to turn that energy into work and into legislation that actually pro- provides a framework for, for justice. And I mean, and again, I think that it is about justice. You know, it's, it's um, if, you, if you kind of take your eye off of that I, idea that, you know, there is right and mm-hmm. just that, that, you know, that is the goal. I, I, I am going to, I'm going to co-sign on all of that. Uh, uh, I think it, and and I'm ordering the book as soon as we get off the Zoom call. Okay, I'm getting. Hey, hey, we'll talk. (laughs) No, 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 I'll order it. (laughs) Um, And I'm so excited about your assignment because um, one of the things that that has has lifted me up during this time is. Uh, not only the change in the language, I, I was, I've been watching the NBA, and the very idea that Black Lives Matter is on the ball court. I mean, you know, wow, it's like spelled out right there on the court. They made it a street in Washington. They made it a street in New York. They, you know, the, the graphic power of this more than an idea, that piece. And then... Um, I, I will apologize publicly. For many years, I was one of those people that said people do, students do not pay attention to language and they don't write. But in the Zoom world, I'm watching them respond to each other, type to each other, chat with each other, you know, while I'm lecturing, right? Because I can see the little screen over there and how quickly they respond their facility for saying, no, 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 here's the definition, go to this link, you'll find it here, and their willingness to help each other, um, that, that, the, that the virtual world is a world that there are two kinds of people, there are trolls and there are bad people, right? But there's a much larger population of people that are really trying to help each other out. I'll give you a quick example. I sat in on a class with a colleague of mine in the spring because I had a, a, an assignment that didn't require me to be in a classroom. And um, he, the instructor changed the Zoom link and students came to the old Zoom link, students, not the professor, came to the old Zoom link to find those of us who were sitting there, those three or four of us who had checked into the wrong room to say, you're, you're in the wrong space. You need to do this, this, these three steps to get out and here's how you get back in. And I was struck by that, that, that students were looking out for other students. Do you see what I'm saying? And then in virtual spaces, how language gets used. Um, the, there is casual chat, 
there is formal chat, there is the chat of people in a classroom versus the chat of people in church, <laughs> okay, versus, so, so there's all of a sudden this kind of um, elevation of written language in a way that I don't think, in a different way, let's just say it that way. Um, and uh, George, as you said, is young people. It's people that are so conscious of, wait a minute, this is happening here, and it's happening in England, and it's happening in France, and it's happening, so that, so that this notion of justice, um, not just justice in the United States, but, you know, wait a minute, in Mexico, they abducted all these women, and nobody said anything, and how does that happen, and right, so that those, the, the, the idea of a social movement large um, is, is, I think, what's inspiring now, and keeping that, stoking the flame, I think that's our job, George, is we have to stoke the flame of that and keep saying, yes, this is not your imagination. This is, this is really happening and it's really important. Uh, and the question I always say is, okay, so we see the black men who are shot in the back. Where are the bl- white women who are shot in the back? The white men who are shot in the back. Because when we see that picture, then we'll start to say, well, wait a minute now, hold up. You know, this, uh, no. This is this is really out of whack here, right? Yeah. Or this is happening too much. The the picture on the cover of uh, George Floyd's face with all of that, you know, when you start to look at the weight of that, it's just stunning. When, when 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 you look and and part of the thing, the poem that I wrote about his face was that when you look from all around the world, like guys in Syria are painting murals. And I think that that's a big part of the art movement from this era is all of the murals and all of the graffiti that's on these different buildings and stuff is telling a story as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I it's think, a world story. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a unique time. I'm the, uh, you know, I gotta disclose this. I'm I'm one of the co-founders of Black Scholars Matter at Cal State, and we built that here in the area. And that happened during the Trayvon Martin era. Um, and we're just talking about a few years ago. Um, and it was interesting because we formed it, um, saying that you know we needed something for us, you know, on the ground, and and so we helped co-found the. Pan African Center, along with the Latinx Center, the Pacific. So we've we've got a whole space. And shout out to um, a lot of the uh, you know like John Fudge, people who led the way, you know, uh, Dr. Irvin and some other folks who kind of left the template there for us to pick it up and build on it. Um, and I feel like what's happening now, um, we still meet um, the Black Scholars Matters, and we're formed. I mean, I'm part of a bunch of Black Equity Initiative. Um, the Beep, um, Black Economic Empowerment Program. I mean, so I'm part, I've just been a part of a lot of, uh, and I'm Black and Latino, so just also Garifuna, you name it. Um, and people say, well, you're not Black. Would well, I identify with that? Because that's how was I, pre- I was presented as that in this world. You know, you taught you're Black. You know, um, as W. Du Bois would say in his, his memoir, right? You know, you don't find out you are who you are till you engage with the world. And you're like, oh, okay. Um, so, um, but yeah, I bring that to say that uh, 
you know, what y'all are doing right now is things that we need to highlight. Uh, you know, what the issue is equity and accessibility. How, how many Black scholars of literature is out there for students and people to engage in? How, you know, how do we get access to that? And that's why I have to give credit to Black, Blacklandia and Inlandia Institute in Riverside because they're like, we need to make this more accessible. We need to make sure that people hear this, see this, experience this, because they need to know this. It's a diverse world. They need to diversify the playing field. Even the textbooks that we're given, right? And the stuff, everything needs to be diversified at this point. So we can get different perspective, a global view, and an interactive view of what the world looks like in real time. You know, um, something I thought about when I knew that, you know, we were going to do this was that um, as a result of the pandemic, it's projected that over 40% of all Black-owned businesses will close during this pandemic. Almost, I mean, almost 50% of Black-owned businesses will no longer be in business after this. Um, Blacks are dying of COVID-19 at a rate three times higher than white people are dying. And police murdering Black people for, for Black men, it's the sixth leading cause of death. And so those are things that, um, you know, when we talk about equity, you know, that's, those are markers, you know, those, those are things that we can look at. And some people are like, oh, I don't trust statistics. But even if they were only half of what they are, they would still be terrible. So, you know, we, we, we have goals, you know, we have things that we can objectively look at and say, this can be made better. So um, as far as an artist, um, you know, as, as far as I am concerned as an artist, um, I think that you can't be discouraged, you know, like, like um, and you, you, you have to keep kind of singing that song. You have to keep on drawing people's attention that we can do better, you know? And so that's, you know, um, it, it's like um, in the poem, about George Floyd. At one point I say, I am so angry, but still I rejoice. You know, um, I rejoice because of us. You know, I mean, that's, that's my hope. And, um, you know, for, and like I said, like, you know, young people of all races are the catalyst, but we're still that, 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 um, that reaction, that, that force, you know, that, that, that cooking, that, that, you know, like, you know, like you pour that catalyst in and it gets hot. You know, and so, um, you know, we're still, we still have a role to play. And, and, and a very important role in keeping yeah. the movement going and keeping yes. the, the changes happening. There are some great changes going on. You know, the world is, is remarkably changed from when I was starting teaching years ago to now. And it's going to be different next year. It's going to be more different next year, but hopefully in a, in a better way. There are so many signs that point to that. There are so many, um, the recent ethnic studies legislation where all students are going to have to take an ethnic studies class. The wealth of literature that's out there that people are writing. Um, the fact that major theater organizations, major granting organizations, the National Endowment, the California have said, wait a minute, we don't have representation. We don't have black artists that we're funding. We don't have 
Latino initiatives that we're funding. We don't have Asian. Why not? They must be out there somewhere. You know, why do we have these blinders on that have kept us from seeing everything that's available? So, so I am hopeful that those differences as our, as our little, little by little, you know, we peel back the, there's, there's this great artist. I've been trying to think of his name while I'm sitting here who does the pictures where he paints over the figures in these old masterpieces so that you can see the one little black character in the corner and the whole canvas becomes blank except for that figure. And so you reframe your thinking. You start to say, I didn't even notice that character was in there because I was so focused on the, the big giant thing in the middle that I missed all the representation that's there. So, so that uncovering, maybe the, this, is, this is the time of the uncovering of what is the real meaning of justice? What is, what is really important to us? How do we keep being creative? You know, uh, and so we're going to be wrapping up this uh, podcast and I want to highlight some of the work that y'all got going on. And I want to thank y'all for coming on this platform and sharing um, not only your experiences and some of your challenges, but, you know, new ways we can like move this culture forward and reinvent this space. Um, your expertise today has been phenomenal and hopefully it can help someone um, figure out how to be creative or someone can say, you know what, I was going through that too. You know, like they can mm-hmm. share some of these experiences that we're talking about and, uh, you know, and I want to highlight, you know, because I know people say, well, you know, it's not that, you know, we have black people that teach and people, we got black books. It's like, yeah, right. I mean, we got people who fought to do that. Who Anybody who's in academia and is a person of color knows the struggle and the fight you have to deal with. Anybody who's a writer and trying to compete in these um, um get published, you know what the struggles are, you know. And I say that because if it wasn't, you know, at least once a year when I walk into a classroom, I have students, they see that I'm Black and walk out of the class. Like, because, you know, and the students be like, well, we thought you were Latino. We thought you was a female. We thought, but I am Latino, but I'm not a female. But yeah, I'm Latino, you know, but I'm also Black. Why can't be? And they think because I'm Black and young that I'm not qualified to teach. And I don't get offended. It's just that's if you don't have that presentation, if you don't see those kind of folks, you don't find incredible. And so um, and it goes back to the terminologies and the language we have right, uh, in our literature and, and by definition. One of the quotes that I created because uh, George inspired me uh, from my book, St. Mary's, I have a, 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 a called Too Easy. And what I did was I would take the last two words and make it the title. So when I read it, it's not in the poem or it's not in the quote. So the title kind of completes. It's like a beginning and kind of thing. So it's, just, it's really quick. It goes, don't beat yourself up, especially when your opposition wants to destroy you. You'll make it. And the title is called Too Easy. And so um, that's coming out in St. Mary's, and that should be out this year. But yeah, you know, we shouldn't make it too easy to be executed. Um, and we should definitely have a voice. We shouldn't make it too easy for us to be forced out of school and drop out and be locked up. We should definitely put up a fight. And we shouldn't make it 
too easy to keep this normal, like keep it the way it is. We need to fight to change it. So I just want to highlight that. Um, and that's from St. Mary's. This should be out this year. Uh, uh, also, full disclosure, uh, Dr. Irvin, she's writing a forward to this. Uh, so it's Juan Legato. So I thank them. Uh, I appreciate them because they helped guide me and inspired me. Kirby Hines, uh, Calke, you know, to be professor, you know, Dr. Walker, you know, to look at myself and be part of that, mm-hmm. I guess, that, that, that group. Because I always felt like, you know, I would never be a scholar. I would never be an academic or anything like that. But, you know, they were my um, guidance. And, and, and I just want to say thank I like to thank them because they reached out and they helped me a lot, um, even when I was in grad school. So I just want to give a shout out to them. And also to George, you know, because we were in school together and we're, you know, he, you know, and, you know, I would go to George and say, hey, what do you think about this? And, you know, ref, you know, go, you know, back and forth with George. And so I just want to thank you. Um, and so, of course, I'm dedicating that book as well to you, George, because you were part of that. You were part of that uh, process. And, you know, every every week, at least for two, three hours at night, we're, to 11 o'clock at night, we're talking. And you helped me reshape and reframe some of my pieces. But promote what you got going on so people can find you, a website or project. And then we'll also put it on the link for Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the platforms of Landia uh, so they can have access to it and, and support. Um, thank Definitely. you. I am uh, still working at the university, teaching classes. I I will be directing a Zoom play for the University of California, Riverside, called Water by the Spoonful, Tierra Alegria Fundes. It's a a, a Pulitzer Prize winning play um, coming up before Thanksgiving. I'm not sure how we're doing that. It's on Zoom. Uh, And then I'll be directing a work by Naomi Izuki in the spring semester at Cal State San Bernardino. And I'm hoping that that will be, you know, live and in living color, maybe on the lawn somewhere, (laughs) but I'm hoping we'll be back together for that. Uh, Thank you, Alex, for inviting me. Thank you, George, for being part of the conversation. And I would say to all the young artists, remember, you know, a lot of us, have opened the door. We expect you to come on through. Come on. We expect you to come on in. It's your turn. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, the easiest way to catch up with me, I don't have all of those sophisticated mechanisms. So if, if, if you're on Facebook, then, um, you know, just check George Hammonds. And I mean, there's a few of us there, but you'll see me. Um, but um, so so I could be reached on Facebook. And then also uh, my email address is ghammons at gmail.com. It's pretty straightforward. So it's just ghammons at gmail.com. And, um, you know, I'm working on I'm, I'm taking a class in a memoir. And so I'm working on something that um, deals with I, I went all the way through Catholic school. So I'm dealing with some, I'm writing something that deals with my relationship with a Catholic school and the Catholic church. And it's a combination of prose and poetry. And so um, uh, that's, that's my current um, project. And then also I do a lot of photography. So if you go to um, Facebook, you'll see a lot of my photos and stuff. And I'm looking at taking some of my photos of squirrels and butterflies and stuff and actually turning that into like a picture book. So, uh, or either what they call a lookbook. You know, but um, so th- those are my main projects. And I just want to say thanks. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, uh, Blacklandia and Inlandia 
and Kathy, I love you. You're so it's just like always great to see you. So. So, yeah, um, this has been uh, another production for College Career and Beyond uh, with our special and amazing, beautiful guests. And uh, it's been sponsored by Blacklandia, by the way, of the Atlantia Institute. Shout out to Katie Porter and our whole squad and our whole team. Shout out to Lisa. Um, you know, we respect that, you know, you want to continue to diversify the platform and allow us uh to be in spaces normally we wouldn't be. And so you're sharing your platform with us is also respectable and, you know, we have to acknowledge that. Um, and part of it is when we talk about, you know, uplifting black culture, you know, we're also uplifting white consciousness, people who are, who are feeling, you know, what, what can I do to help uplift other folks? Cause that's what privilege allows you. When you're privileged, you have access. You have um, ways to provide opportunity for folks. So, you know, when I get hired at these universities, it's going to be usually a white chair that hires me, you know, and that's just how it works. When I get a publicist, it's usually a white person because they're the majority in those platforms. When I'm doing shows and I'm traveling, you want, so they see the importance of having more diversity. And I hope, you know, we have more folks who are conscious of that to diversify the platform and not be afraid to share the platform because that's really what happens with, uh, that's how discrimination is birthed. It's the lack of sharing space. And in this new era, we need to look at how to coexist and share space. And we can learn a lot from each other. And so um, it's not an anti-white movement. It's a diverse movement, diversifying the playing field. And it's okay to look different. It's okay to have different ideas and concepts. So you're going to see a lot of the works um, that Dr. Irvin and, and George has going on on my website on Avalon Production. You're also going to get the link um, not only on Avalon Productions, but you'll see the link on Spotify, uh, Apple Music, and things of that nature. So I want to thank our guests again for being on this platform and uh, lending their time and expertise uh, to share with us uh, what is happening, what has happened in the past, what's happening currently, and what the future is going to look like. Uh, and so they've been amazing. And go buy that book. George, you want to tell them where, that, where to get that book again? Yeah, it's called Witness common spelling witness and you can get it on amazon i also have another one there called hungry to bed which is all love poems witness is primarily um uh um kind of like a collection of diverse poems there's not a particular theme to it but um you can get it on amazon and and again if you hit me up on uh facebook then you'll find out all that all right all right well beautiful people thank you very much I will also add some of the committees and some of the partners that um, Dr. Irving is with so we can promote their website and some of their platforms and you'll see it on the link. And thank y'all very much. Stay beautiful, stay conscious, and stay healthy and safe. Thank you for listening to CAB, College, Career, and Beyond. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find us on whatever provider podcast you listen to, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and more. Continue listening to CAB College Career and Beyond, where we keep you ahead of the game and not behind the game.